Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of our podcast. Um, first, let me begin by thanking our new patrons uh, on our Patreon account. Thank you so much. That's greatly appreciated. And please let me encourage some other listeners to go ahead and assist us by donating a regular amount, a dollar, five dollars, that's plenty, uh, through our Patreon account. Information on how to do that will be in the episode notes. This episode is going to be on the energetic component, or training component, and in particular of Kihon Waza. Past episodes have spoken quite a bit, quite extensively, on the physical component, usually um, referencing, or usually that translates into the martiality of the art. And in particular, the overall, the universal jujitsu tactic of non-contestation. Again, to remind the listener, especially the Aikido practitioner, Aikido historically, if you, if you were to academically study Aikido historically, sociologically, uh, you would firmly place it in what contemporary nomenclature would categorize as a jujitsu. I know there is work done um, by early pioneers attempting to discuss Aikido history through an academic paradigm, um, particularly the work of Drager, that was trying to draw this distinction between the Do arts and the jitsu arts, and that heavily influenced how Westerners early on as Aikido was brought to the West, um, it influenced them on how to understand it. And it's quite controversial to say Aikido is a jiu-jitsu, but it is when you step back and you don't adopt that paradigm that early pseudo-academics had about what Aikido is and is not and what the jitsu arts were and were not. When you step back, it's perfectly fine to describe it as a jiu-jitsu. Towards that end, Aikido then must, as all jiu-jitsu, must include the tactic of non-contestation. Non-contestation is, in fact, really best understood as a harmonization of yin and yang energy. In contrast, when yin and yang are out of balance, then you're going to have something like a yang-yang clash. You would have contestation. You would have blocking. Uh, you would have pushing. You would have pulling. Uh, things that is very, those things are very, very common in contemporary Aikido, even amongst the greater majority that practices choreography with, for or with their uke. You will still see pushing, pulling, forcing, yang-yang, clashing, etc., Again, in the past, I've mentioned where you see this more, most commonly, or just that it's more readily visible, um, addressing Shomenuchi on the way down, 
uh, stopping Yoko Minucci on its way in. But also almost every throw is some sort of acceleration throw where Uke is either stopped or going in direction X and then accelerated into direction Y. That is still a yang yang clash. And you can see this in from Kokyuho, Tenchi Nage, Edimi Nage, all those kind of things um, would all be forms of contestation. Again, continuing to tie this back to earlier podcasts, remember non-contestation is a martial resultant of an application of yin-yang theory, East Asian culture, the Silk Road culture in particular, uh, particularly as it uh, manifested itself in what eventually became China, uh, is going to develop a martial art according to the truths that it has adopted uh, in yin-yang theory. So you're not going to have any martial art posited as true and thereby effective and practical in which it contests yang against yang. This, however, isn't just a kind of analytical conclusion because anybody can run the experiments at a practical level and see that yang-yang architectures only work if the person doing them is much stronger than the person they're being done on. And then you also have to take out uh, weapons and you have to take out uh, multiple opponents and things like that because yang-yang clashes slow down everybody. And when you slow down, you impede upon mobility. And when you impede upon mobility, you're not really geared towards weapons fighting or multiple opponents. When you look at popular jiu-jitsu today, um, especially in the competition world, so if you look at BJJ competitions, you can see that there's not really jiu-jitsu going on. Uh, it's just really bad grappling where you do see yang-yang clashes. But there's things that lend to its appearance of effectiveness. Again, no weapons, no multiple attackers, and then also weight categories. And it's usually the old school practitioners of BJJ that are noting like, wow, people can't grapple outside their weight category anymore. Uh, they'll talk about the invisible jiu-jitsu is no longer there, etc., uh, etc. Et it's not good for self-defense anymore. That's, that's what they're noting. Um, but if we understand it in terms of yin-yang theory, it's just bad jiu-jitsu. Same thing when you have addressing Shomenuchi on the way down, Yoko Minuchi on the way in, when you stop that energy, or when you accelerate someone in, in various types of kokunage or, or various types of nagewaza, it's just bad Aikido because it's bad jujitsu. Why? Because it's not harmonizing yin and yang. And as bad here, in quotes, noting its um, centrality, what we're talking about is it's impractical. It just doesn't work, and you can run experiments for practicality. Just have someone resist uh, that is stronger or heavier, and the throw goes right out the window. A strange uh, soci sociological effect of this truth is that many contemporary Aikidos, Aikido practitioners who are really investigating it, they've actually landed 
not on, well, this is bad jujitsu, this is bad Aikido, but they've actually landed on, it's actually only supposed to work on people that you're stronger. Um, it can't work on people that are stronger than you. And this is just insane. This is just more of the modern world taking over and uh, egocentrically redefining what was because of all that they cannot do. So this physical training component, uh, when it is applied to Kihon, you're going to see non-contestation uh, tactically, architecturally. Mm. And then when we take that, though, when we really, really look at that, you're going to see what the Silk Road culture landed on in terms of where and what is necessary for true non-contestation to happen. And that is that uh, there has to be a reconciliation of yin and yang internally, inside the actual martial artist, inside their body, inside their body-mind. And that must uh, also be present at the same time that an actual physical non-contestation is happening. So let me put this another way. Inversely, if you do not have an internal harmonization of yin and yang, then you cannot ever have an external harmonization of yin and yang. Again, going back to other episodes, the truth or this truth was reached because East Asian culture uh, was working through what I have called the concentric episteme. This is a particular way of thinking, of understanding knowledge and truth. And what this culture holds is that these things are either simultaneously true or simultaneously false. And then just here to remind the listener you have that third component, the spiritual component, but it too is understood concentrically. And so you would have uh, this, this premise that, again, simultaneously, concentrically, uh, you must have a reconciliation of the egoic mind or the ego tripartite mind with the God mind, that must be present in order to have an internal energetic component reconciled and in order to have a physical component reconciled and manifest non-contestation. All those things happen simultaneously. It is very, very problematic if we apply any kind of sequencing or prioritization to this model, um, that is all a scientific episteme, that is all a Western understanding of things. And you might want to say that you're going to first learn the physical component, and then that'll lead you to the energetic component, and then that'll lead you to the spiritual component, but such is not the case. They either happen simultaneously or they don't happen simultaneously. As I've said in the past, we've spoken mostly about either the spiritual component or the physical component. And I would like to talk more about the energetic component because I feel that this is the gateway for contemporary Aikidoka 
to more accurately understand their kihon waza. I think if you're trying to understand the kihon waza martially, you're going to have a very, very difficult time when all you have is the kihon waza. I don't think the tactical infinite variability of the kihon waza is exposed and made visible to anyone who just knows and just learns the kihon waza. It's, it's absolutely impossible. I think you have to have a broader tactical curriculum in order to understand kihon waza martially. Some of the most common mistakes are that the forms are one-to-one self-defense responses. That's very common, but that's just ludicrous. Somebody who understands a larger martial context knows it's ludicrous, but is also fine with just doing the form. They're fine with that. The form doesn't answer, in their mind, the totality of martial concerns because they have a much larger tactical architectural curriculum than someone who just has ikkyo, nikkyo, sankyo, etc. Another subtle distinction between someone who understands the larger martial context and someone who can only try to understand it through kihon waza only is, uh, this might be a little difficult to say, but it's the idea that a form will manifest itself martially from beginning, middle to end. And again, no, the, lar- the person who understands a larger martial context understands that the form is just a bunch of uh, what-ifs put together, strung together as a kind of poem. I mean, you could change the words in any way you want uh, and come up with a different kind of narrative. Uh, it's just not that straight whole-to-whole response that people think it is. People that are trying to make Kihon Waza martial. I think those, those people will be doomed forever to not having a martial Aikido, regardless if they call themselves martialist or not. For people that approach the art from the spiritual component, I think it has been made very, very difficult, especially in the West, on how to do this because things like religion and spirit have such a complex and convoluted cultural history that modern people are no longer exposed to understanding and by which they do not understand how the choices they're making are not actually choices made by them, but choices imposed by them, by countless people going back centuries who did not have the slightest interest in what they are actually interested in. Additionally, as, and related to that history, is someone who attempts to understand the art spiritually really, in most cases, has no access to validation systems that used to be in place because those have been wiped out. And as a result, you yourself, you, the practitioner yourself, 
have no feedback, no mechanism of criticism, of observation and evaluation by which you could understand to what level you have cultivated your spirit or not. Being in the middle of these two things, the energetic component is a very, very practical gateway by which to note, observe, critique, evaluate, assess whether you have a physical non-contestation or whether you have a spiritual reconciliation of the small self or the egoic mind. And to do this, you don't need anything more than the Kihon Waza itself. To do the other stuff, to bring a martiality to your Aikido, you're going to need more tactical architectures than just Kihon Waza. And to bring a spiritual reconciliation of the personal identity, the ego attachment, our fear, etc., you're going to need more technologies of self than just the Kihon Waza. But to develop the energetic component, Kihon Waza is all-encompassing. There's no more that is needed. You don't even need all the Kihon Waza. So let's give some brief cultural history on how we got there. So first and foremost, um, because modern Aikidoka have been so deceived, whether it's self-deception or not, O-sensei did not invent this. Again, it, it is absolutely culturally improbable, perhaps even impossible, for any East Asian person to jump on the scene as a kind of eruption of genius. That's just not possible. Truth in East Asia does not function that way. It does function that way in the West. We, we like to believe in spontaneous eruptions of genius. But in East Asian culture, Silk Road culture in particular, there's always a hearkening back to some sort of golden age. In both cases, this is actually the truth. So even though in the West we like to believe in the spontaneous eruption of genius, if you actually study that eruption, you'll know, no, no, no. This is actually just an effect of earlier schools of thought and earlier thinkers. And in fact, it's actually a reproduction of this thinker that has long been forgotten. But in East Asian culture, they, they hold value to this past. And so anybody is, that's landing on what is going to be socially constructed and accepted as truth, what they're going to do is always refer to an older age or an older information. This is why culturally, for example, O-sensei, makes reference to the Kojiki, the, the creation myth of Japan. He could have, if he wanted to, uh, just talk about energy and forces and balancing out. But 
it would not have the same power of truth to his own culture as if he goes back to the past and pulls it out of the Kojiki. So it helps a modern Aikidoka understand the energetic component by understanding the cultural history uh, more accurately. So the first thing is, O Sensei didn't invent this. He's referencing something that predated him. And that's precisely what made it true in his mind and those who believed him at that time. So to simplify things um, and to start giving access to modern Aikidoka who need to do an archaeology of their art in order to free themselves from the Federite reduction of their art. The place to start is with Taoist thinking. Although I'll note here that this stuff predates what scholars would eventually call Taoist thinking. But that should be your first access point. And what we want to pull out as we again investigate through that access point is the following where this will help us understand where the energetic component fits between the two components and why it can function as a means of observation, evaluation, assessment, etc. Okay, physically, it's very easy to understand, as we already mentioned, non-contestation is a harmonization of yin and yang. So, okay, check, easily. I don't, I don't, do yang yang clashes, I don't block, I don't accelerate people, I don't pull people, I don't push people. And anyone could get at least what that means, but it's not very easy to do. Okay? As, as you watch Aikido, as I watched Aikido, and you can post, if you can post a video where there was no pushing, no pulling, no blocking, no stopping, no accelerating, and it's not one of my videos, I'll, I'll pay attention. But it is so rare today that you just don't see it anymore. Because what is not actually the art has now become the art. Just like in BJJ, what's not actually the art has actually become the art. The spiritual component and how it relates concentrically to the energy component is very, very complicated, extremely complicated. What, what is probably better, rather than calling it Taoist, it's probably better, although you're going to have to borrow a European term or a Western term, it's probably better to understand it as an internal alchemy, or, or if you want a subcontinent India term, yogic understanding of the body-mind. It's through that that the energetic component is concentrically related to the spiritual component. But for simplicity's sake, what I will note here is just the following. The reconciliation, well, let's go back one step. The egoic mind the ego tripartite mind has an energetic value. The God mind also has an energetic value. 
because everything in the cosmos has an energetic value. Thereby, the reconciliation of the two minds also has an energetic value. What this says, again, very, very simple here because this is very, very complicated. If you, if you really wanted to understand historically how these different cultures understood this internal alchemy or this yogic understanding of the body-mind, it's extremely complicated. But for simplicity's sake, the reconciliation of the two minds, awakening, enlightenment, spiritual maturity, sagehood, however you want to say it, it itself has an energetic value. Just like non-contestation has an energetic value. And when it comes to your kihon waza, you're not trying to throw uke or pin uke. You're actually trying, not trying, you actually are generating, reproducing, producing the energetic value of the two minds being reconciled. That is, first and foremost, but also last, what you are trying to do in your Kihon Waza. That is where all attention should go. Because in there, you achieve whatever martial end you might want, but you also achieve whatever spiritual end you might want. And without that energetic value being met, Kihon Waza is not martial, for reasons already mentioned, and it is not spiritual, because there is no nexus whatsoever, whatsoever, except a talismanic one, or at best, a metaphorical one, between Kihon Waza and the reconciliation of the ego. There is no practical nexus. There is nothing that is going to lead you from A, Kihon Waza, to B, enlightenment. You're just moving around. You're just exercising, maybe. Very poorly, at best. No imagining of peace, or of victory, or of the warrior mindset. While you're doing your ikkyo, nikkyo, sankyo, is ever going to produce awakening. No thinking kind thoughts, no practice of gratitude, no thankfulness, no sense of harmlessness. Nothing is going to produce awakening. These are not the thoughts of somebody in Santa Barbara in 2023. These are the thoughts of the cultures and the peoples that came up with these technologies of self. What you can do as a human being, just like you can non-contest, it just requires a particular training paradigm. What you can do is learn how to develop the energetic value and utilize the energetic value of awakening. And when you do, you are in the awakened state.
You do that in your Kihon Waza. Now you tie this into the larger cosmological narrative. This is where you get the notions of Aikido is love. Aikido is misogi. Aikido is standing on the bridge between heaven and earth. Aikido is a reconciliation of yin and yang. Aikido is moving meditation. Aikido is the reconciliation of fear. These things are poetical, poetic ways of understanding the particular energetic value of awakening. And this energetic value is like awakening is a reconciliation of yin and yang, which is what non-contestation is at the physical component. There's no end to how much refinement you can bring to this energetic reconciliation. And everyone's practice, therefore, should eventually zero in on this. As much, meaning as infinite in nature as the awakened state is, because it is a communion with the nameless. The energetic reconciliation is the same way. One life is not enough. All effort should be directed there, eventually. This is why I think if you don't have a professional end, such as you're not in law enforcement, for example, if your orientation is solely the physical component and its martial validity, something's wrong with you. Just look deep enough. There's a lot of fear in you. That fear has an energy value, and that energy value is demonstrating that the art is not cultivating you. This is how it, the energetic component, as I said, can work as an assessment tool. You're 30, 40, 50, you live in the West, and a huge part of your identity with no professional end is still about how not to get killed. Your art's not working for you. It's out of energetic balance. This fear is a construct of the egoic mind. That construct and that mind has a particular energetic value. And at the energetic component, you're not advancing in the art. Again, that'll show up at the physical component. And you will see that it's also not very martial either. Now, of course, a lot of contemporary Aikidoka are going to say, just like a lot of contemporary Aikidoka will say, I do Kokyu and Aiki, but they don't really. As mentioned in previous episodes and multiple writings on it, they're going to say, I do the energy work too. And again, no, you don't. You have to do an archaeology. You have to get past the Federite mindset. You have to go deeper. You have to understand it. Going to contemporary Daito Ryu is not it. Daito Ryu and its contemporary taser overload of the nervous system and its psyops is not it. You have to go into Silk Road culture and you have to find that golden thread that weaves its way throughout these cultures, throughout history, and you have to find out 
What are they doing? What are they saying? How is it accomplished? What caveats should I note? And you have to constantly monitor yourself for self-deception and self-indulgence. If you're doing it right, you can look at your physical component and you can say and see that your technique is manifesting from beginning to end without any dichotomous elements. No pushing, no pulling, no stopping, no accelerating. That's, that's the place to start. It's, again, very difficult to start, as, as difficult as it is to start at the spiritual component, it's very difficult to start at the energetic component, especially if you're a modern Aikidoka where the means, the technologies to, meant to develop this have been thoroughly removed from the training. No, no one knows these things on, on mass at all. They've been substituted by other things that are not it. But these pre-modern cultures dealt with a very, that perennial philosophy. So you have this idea, there's threes, there's threes. It might expand past threes, but there's always threes. You always have this thing that is beyond comprehension, the nameless, the Tao, God. And then it manifests in some sort of dualism that then goes on and expands. So there's always this trinity. But the idea is to always get back to the nameless. So as a modern Aikidoka trying to do the archaeology, what you need to do is observe your being, your practice for dichotomy. If dichotomy is present, you're doing it wrong. Hence, if you're pushing, you're pulling, if you're stopping, you're accelerating, you're doing it wrong. Hence, blocking is wrong. Hence, yang-yang is wrong. But to now step back and give you a bigger picture as you're going to do your own archaeology. And I made reference to that kind of golden thread running through these Silk Road cultures. The reason there is a thread is because there are slight differences, even deviations, and you have to be wise enough to identify when and how that occurs so that, one, you can actually use those deviations to further find and refine the golden thread weaving through these cultures. So not all of these energetic martial arts, these internal martial arts as we call them today, they do not all function in exactly the same way, nor towards the same end, but less so. I do think there's a case to be made that they do function towards the same end. But how they do that is really... In, likely, in all likelihood, the preference of the lineage, of the personalities of that lineage. So if we look at Aikido, Kihonwaza, what you're doing energetically is the following. Uke is prescribed with the role of generating the Tanden field 
in Nage by manifesting yang energy. So Uke is going to ground themselves, all energy working on their body, bounce that energy off of the earth. That is what manifests yang energy. It is now coming up off the earth. They're going to drive that yang energy into Nage. Nage is going to receive that energy internally, and this produces the lower Tanden field. So you have to know how to do that. You have to know how to internal... You, Uke has to know how to generate yang energy, as I prescribed it, and Nage has to know how to internalize that energy and how to allow the lower Tanden field to manifest. Uke's yang energy is internalized by Nage and is again, likewise, bounced off of the earth. So it's going to be this kind of fluctuating yin-yang energy going up and down. Then what the pattern does is the pattern of the kihon externally, but Naga is doing this internally, is going to start to spiral rotate those yin and yang energies inside their body, inside the Tanden field. This spiral rotation is what's going to lead to a reconciliation of yin and yang. So when they first come in, they're working almost linearly for simplicity's sake. When they work linearly, they work dichotomously. But when you spiral rotate them, note I'm not just saying spiral them and I'm not just saying rotate them. Spiral rotate them. The linearity and the distinction and dichotomous nature of the two now gets lost, fades away, becomes something else. And they become indistinguishable. The di their dichotomy is reconciled. The forms are working with this, through this, and for this. Meaning, the form will do this, but because you do this, you do the form. Some variations of Kihon Waza will do this in both orientations or both directions, meaning they will spiral rotate to the right or they will spiral rotate to the left, some at the same time. This spiral rotation of yin and yang energy in the lower Tanden field allows for the physical component to manifest non-contestation. So your technique is not pulling, not pushing, not stopping, not accelerating, etc. At the energetic level, the dichotomous nature between yin and yang is reconciled and the mind will enter, because you've achieved the energetic value, the mind will enter its own reconciled state. The mind will be in a state of awakening. Here, the materiality 
of the world's gravity and of yin pull is purified out. Fear is purified out. Communion, love, togetherness, indistinction, indistinguishableness is experienced. And the Aikido practitioner does this rep after rep after rep from both the Uke side and the Naga side. And this is the goal of Aikido. And there's no end to the value of this kind of training. And even if I say this is the goal of the training, I'm wholeheartedly fine saying this is the means as well as well of the martial aspect of the art. But a mature practitioner is going to not give a crap about the martial aspect of the art. You're going to get lost in this infinite, ever-refining energetic component and value. This is where all your attention should go. To put your attention elsewhere is to be lost, to be in hell, to not practice the art as a way, and to have sagehood ever elude you. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.